Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's good, y'all? This is Breeze Bruin from the Mighty Juggernauts. And make sure you subscribe and download the podcast. Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews with Tim Kell. Hip-hop journalism on the highest level. Yeah, what's up? It's your boy, Joel Ortiz. And I want everybody to make sure that they subscribe and download the podcast, Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews with Tim Ininko. Yo, Tim, I hope all is well. You my guy. I know these interviews are not interviews. They're actually conversations, and I appreciate them all. Yeah, well. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ice-T. I want you to do something for me. Make sure you download and subscribe Library Rap. The hip hop interviews with Tim I and Cal. It is oh fucking official. All right, stop playing. Download and subscribe. Library rap. The hip hop interviews with Tim I and Cal. What's up, everyone? This is Tim I and Cal with Andy Don't Stop Radio. Welcome to my segment at the library. And now. Hip hop is so successful that when Jay Z spits, none of us bat an eye. Jay knows the culture which has influenced him and countless others has turned into a business, a big business, thus making them all entrepreneurs. Four elements make up hip hop. Some debate, there's more. Dan Charnas is one of those people, and he argues there's another element, the business element of hip-hop. Dan Charnas has been working in the business as a scout, a promoter, and journalist. He's the author of a new book, The Big Payback, The History of the Business of Hip-Hop. Dan joined us on Any Don't Stop Radio to walk us through some of the pivotal moments in the hip-hop business and discuss what influence the business size has had on the hip-hop culture. Question, can or should you be able to capitalize off this culture? We'll find out. Dan Charnas, welcome to Any Don't Stop Radio. So, Dan, I want you to expand on Sylvia Robertson and Sugar Hill Records. And then I want you to expand on why couldn't the success of Rapper's Delight, why, why couldn't Sylvia do more with that after the commercial success of Rapper's Delight? Well, Sylvia Robinson, um, at the time that she first heard her, at the, at the time that she heard her first rapper, which I believe was Lovebug Starsky at Harlem World in the summer of 1979, um, she was a down-on-her-luck kind of record producer uh, and former performer. She had been a star in the 1950s as one half of the duo Mickey and Sylvia uh, with a huge hit called Love is Strange that they toured on for years. 
And then in the late 1960s, early 1970s, she became a record entrepreneur with her husband, Joe Robinson. And they had a record company called All Platinum Records, and they had The Moments, and they had uh, Shirley and Company, and, um, and a number of other artists who uh, were, were pretty successful. Um, and they were known in the R&B circuit uh, and in the R&B industry. And Sylvia herself, you know, was a, a very, uh, you know, she may have been America's first female record producer. And she, uh, she produced one of Ike and Tina Turner's first hits. And she had this idea that she wanted to do this song for Al Green in 1972, 1973, called Pillow Talk. And um, she sent it to Al Green, and Al Green's manager wanted the publishing. She wasn't willing to give her the publishing, so she shelved her demo of the song. And about a year later, she revisited the demo, and she figured that it was good enough to put out on her own um, as an artist again for the first time in over 10 years. And that's what she did, and Pillow Talk actually became uh, a huge hit on Billboard. Um, I think a number one hit for her, at least on the R&B charts. And so she became a performer again, but in the mid to late 1970s, her record company imploded, her career went you know, south, and she was really looking for uh, a way out and a way up, a way out of her troubles. I mean, they were, all platinum had filed for bankruptcy, and she went to this uh, religious revival in New Jersey to get her spirits up, and she had this vision that, that you know god and the angels were going to help her and then that very night she goes to harlem world and sees love bug starsky and decides that she wants to make a record out of this stuff because it's what she knows how to do when she couldn't get uh love bug starsky interested in doing a record she just had her son joey jr recruit some kids from new jersey to do it and that's exactly what they did that became the sugar hill gang which she named after uh, a fancy neighborhood in harlem uh and uh, and of course, Rapper's Delight went on to become a auspiciously huge uh, hit uh, and debut for rap on the national and international scene. And so Sugar Hill was kind of the only game in town. And, and I think in later years, why they didn't succeed, why, why, was, why did Def Jam become the ascendant hip-hop brand and why did Sugar Hill... Um, go by the wayside. And I think it was very much a generational thing and a personal thing. I think that Sylvia and Joe Robinson um, were at their core, they were hustlers, uh, and um, they, they weren't very good with internal artist relations. I don't think that they paid people appropriately, if at all. Um, so they didn't have the trust of the, of the artists whom they work for, uh, because of that, they begin to lose um, in in a field that saw new independent outfits springing up every day. And by contrast, a record company like Profile, which did pay people, and Def Jam, which you know also paid. I mean, not well, but you know, Def Jam, you know, paid and was associated with a major label um, very shortly after its its uh, founding, and. It was run by people who loved rap and didn't 
just want to make money off of it, but actually saw a value in artist development. The rappers like the single, as you mentioned, one of the at the time the number one selling single out there. Uh, why didn't the American industry just go with that? Like, why did they take this newfound popularity of this new type of music and go with it? Why was there such hesitation behind this music? Well, you got to remember they're coming off of the disco craze. And everybody went with that, and everybody got burned. So I think that in a certain way, nobody wanted to be burned again. And at the time, there was a huge backlash against black music, too. And disco was sort of folded into that. And rap was, in many ways, seen as disco's uh, insipid offspring by uh, people in power, by radio programmers, uh, both white and black, by record executives, both white and black. Um, uh, It was... Uh, a racist reaction to be sure, but um, it was one that was held, you know, by uh, almost everyone in the industry. And, you know, one of the themes of the growth of the hip hop business is that time and time again, people had to be hit over the head a few times with the success and the potential profitability of this genre uh, before they bought into it. Why, why why hip-hop as a business and why not blues or why not another black music genre as opposed to hip-hop like what is it, what is it what was it about that the hip-hop culture was that people saw was a great marketing tool difference between the way hip-hop exploded and the way r&b exploded is that hip-hop existed outside of the traditional industry i think um much longer and much more successfully outside the mainstream before sort of being adopted. And when it was adopted, the adoption happened in a different way. It happened um, without what you might call sellout, without crossover, without watering down, um, at least, you know, to a great, to a greater degree than ever before. I think that hip hop was sort of more suited both because it was a proletarian uh, thing, not just in clubs, but in the streets. Uh, it was democratic, you know, kind of anybody could participate. Um, just aesthetically, it also lent itself to becoming one of the world's great pop music. And I believe that one of the things I tried to do in the big payback is to show hip hop is an heir to rock and roll. Um, we used to call it, you know, it, it is rock and roll, but it's more than just rock and roll. It's the heir to rock and roll. It's the successor to rock and roll. It it should sit up on the mantle, you know, just next to rock and roll. It is itself. It is a great pop music. It is a great pop culture. Um, and history needs to record that. All right, Dan, we have to leave it there. We'll continue this next week. Thanks for joining us so far. The book is The Big Payback. Author Dan Charnas. I'm Tim Meinekel at the library. You can go to my website, don'trushthestage.com. This is Andy Don't Stop Radio. So I dig into my pocket, all my money spent. So I just leave up, still coming up with lint. So I start my mission, leave my residence, thinking how could I get some dead presidents? I need money. I used to be a stick up kid, so I think of all the devious things I did. I used to roll up. This is a hole up. Ain't nothing funny. Stop smiling. You still don't nothing move but the money. But now I learned to earn because I'm. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and 
producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we continue our interview now with Dan Charnas, author of The Big Payback, The History of the Business of Rest. Your book, obviously, The Big Payback, uh, the title, well, the word payback, it implies that hip-hop made a fair amount of money off of it, so to say. Does this also suggest in a, some way that this the money aspect of hip-hop actually has compromised the culture, or, or yes, no? I mean, what do you think? You can make that argument, but I think it's a false argument unless you really understand that any subculture that gets mainstream, whether it's hip hop or rock and roll or, uh, you know, anything, sneakers, whatever, you know, whatever sort of thing that's a subculture or graffiti or what, whatever, um, that once it becomes mainstream, it becomes somewhat debased and it takes on the values of the larger culture. Um, and you can't single out hip hop for that. In my book, I don't get into the sort of, and this is like a trope of hip hop, this is a cliche of the way that we talk about hip hop, like, well, you know, that's a sellout, right? right. Uh, and what Jay-Z, you know, Jay-Z did Hard Knock Life and he sampled Little Orphan Annie and, you know, that's a sellout. You know, I, I look at it a completely different way. Jay-Z is one of the few, you know, it was a, a part of a legion of young black artists um, who, unlike in any genre before, were able to actually control a bigger piece of their music, a bigger piece of their intellectual property, a bigger piece of their brand than ever before. R&B did not do that. Jazz did not do that. R&B quickly you know, went into the hands of the public companies and that was that. Um, and, it, and I'm not saying necessarily that hip hop has enriched a community. It, it hasn't. Um, it's created, you know, more rich people, individuals. But hip hop did provide a new paradigm, I think, for young Americans and specifically young Black Americans. That you know, you don't have to sell out, water down, in order to be successful. And if I could attribute that ethos to anyone, like if it started somewhere, I would say that it started with Russell Simmons. I would say that Russell, you know, in the early 1980s, very quickly, you know, there's a great story in the big payback about Menachem Golan reading an article about a very early on Russell Simmons in the Wall Street Journal, you know, and right then he's just a manager of Run DMC and, and uh, Curtis Blow, you know, wasn't, didn't have Def Jam yet. And Menachem Golan wanted to hire Russell Simmons to consult with him on a movie that he wanted to call, I think, Rapping, right? And Russell Simmons hears him out and says, you know what, if I make a movie with you, with what you want to do to this, I will lose everything that I've worked 
so hard for um, all these years. And that's Russell Simmons in 19, in 1984, you know? Right. But it's that spirit, you know, that I think launched this, uh, this phenomenon, this hip-hop phenomenon that was so contrarian to what was going on in R&B, you know? Sort of, Peebo Bryson is this really uh, soulful R&B singer, but in order to be uh, uh, programmed on pop stations, he has to water it down and, you know, sing, if ever you're in my arms again. Hmm. Uh, you know, that didn't, it, I mean, it happened in hip hop, but it happened much to a lesser degree because of the strength of hip hop and also because of the nature of hip hop. And I think Public Enemy has a lot to do with this as well, that I think we all became cognizant that white America was, was you know, young white Americans specifically was now officially ready to not have their stuff watered down for them. I think they were ready for the real thing. And the Afrocentric movement of hip hop, I think, had a lot to do with that. Why do you think hip hop has not, or maybe it has, but has not been uh, replaced? Or be, well, why do you think a white face has not been the, I guess, the poster boy for hip hop? Like, what, 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 what about the culture? What about the business model that has kind of stopped that? Well, of course, that was the great fear, right? right. You know, um, whenever, uh, I mean, it had been sort of, the, and again, the American cliche of there's this, there's this stuff that, uh, you know, the black folks are doing. You know, it's race records, it's this, it's, it's something outside of the mainstream, and then w- white artists swoop in, white producers swoop in, and whiten it up. Um, white performers re-record the songs that black performers do and that that's what gets played on pop stations. Um, And it happened very much in minstrelsy, a little to a lesser extent in jazz, and then to a much lesser extent in R&B. But R&B still did get renamed, rebranded rock and roll, right? Right, right. So... um, and there were legions and legions of black artists who had their music basically re-recorded by some other white artist, and because those artists were white, they had greater access to uh, mainstream outlets. That's the story, in a way, behind Dreamgirls, right? right. Um, that, 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 that powered that story. Uh, and it's really true. Um, and things were made worse in the 1970s, not better, when corporations started buying up radio stations and record companies. Um, and that was how the, the term crossover became really uh, embedded in our um, lexicon in the early 1980s, where, you know, again, you had this, Sherelle had this great song called I Didn't Mean to Turn You On, produced by Terry Lewis and Jimmy Jam. And it went to the you know, number one on the black charts, uh, or the R&B charts, as they were called at that time. and. You know, they didn't really make any noise at all on pop stations, but Robert Palmer, who is an accepted, quote-unquote, artist in pop, he's white, he's British, he re-records the song, and then it does chart on pop. So that was the crossover ethos of R&B. That was the machine that was in place when hip-hop came on the scene. And, um, you know, what hip-hop did was sort of upend that. What hip-hop proved is that... Um, you know, and again, more to your point of your question, hip-hop produces some great artists uh, out of New York, and, like Run DMC. And Run DMC becomes the first hip-hop act to sell millions of records. And you can't sell millions of records in America 
um, unless you have a white audience, right. really. I mean, it's, it's going to be in balance, but, you know, plenty of their fans were young white kids. And when the Beastie Boys came out, the refrain was, oh, the sky is falling. That's it. They, you know, it's the El- they're the Elvis of hip-hop. And they did sell more than Run DMC. Run DMC's Raising Hell was $3 million. Beastie Boys was $4 million. But the Beastie Boys were handily topped by MC Hammer, who is a black artist. Say what you will about him, right? But he sold $10 million. Vanilla Ice who, again, was, the sky is falling, here's the white, you know, Elvis of rap, whatever. He sells less albums than Hammer and lasts, you know, much less, you know, has much less longevity than Hammer. But Vanilla Ice Um, was, I'm sorry, Vanilla Ice was pretty much like a, it was was just a marketing ploy, right? I mean, it's, that there's really... No talent behind him. <laughs> I mean, was it just well, like was it just for marketing purposes, or was there an actual you think a legit? I'm sure. I'm sure Vanilla Ice and Tommy Kwan can contest that he was a real person, uh, and he did have some kind of talent. I mean, he was a great dancer, and he was a good rapper for his area, of the country, and you know he had both black and white fans, believe it or not, for that song. Um, it just wasn't you know up to the par of our New York, uh, you know our New York aesthetics, shall we say. Uh, and Vanilla and Ice wasn't needed. And again, it just showed the, how white programmers really seized on Vanilla Ice because they saw him, again, at this archetype. Okay, well, white rapper, we can deal with this, right? right? Yeah. But in the end, it wasn't the Vanilla Ices and the Beastie Boys that had the kind of longevity in pop music that we would expect of an Elvis. It was... It was, uh, you know, Dr. Dre. It was Ice Cube. It was, um, it, you know, it were black, black artists did. Um, and even to the extent that when Eminem came out, again, the sky is falling, here's the Elvis of hip hop. But, and, and Eminem, of course, is a top seller. But listen, it's Jay-Z and Eminem, right? right. Not Eminem. And it's actually Jay-Z, 50 Cent, and Eminem, not Eminem. So Eminem shares the field with black artists who are just as big, if not bigger, than him. Um, And one Eminem did not beget a legion of white rappers um, basically uh, taking opportunity away from their black counterparts. And that's the cultural difference in hip hop. And frankly, I think it's the cultural difference in the gener- in the hip hop generation. We don't need white translators, right? Um, and it's I, I'm an optimist. You know, I think it's part of a changing America. I know there are people who would contest, you know, my assertion, and we can have a long conversation about that. But I do believe that hip hop changed things, and that. For sure, is one of the things that hip hop changed. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're speaking now with Dan Charnas, author of The Big Payback, The History of the Business of Rap. When did, when did, uh, when did artists start realizing that they could kind of push out the middleman? You, you talk about Cash Money Records and Wendy Day. If you could just talk briefly about that story and what happened and what that meant for the future of hip-hop. I started with Wu-Tang um, in 1992, 1993, um, when RZA decides, almost out of ignorance, right, that, well, I'm assigned this group to Loud, but I got nine members, and I don't want all the nine members signed to Loud Records. I want to sign them to other record companies so that, you know, I can make more money, that they can make more money and that I kind of have everybody working for the Wu rather than the Wu just working for one company and at the mercy of one company because he had been at the mercy of a record company before and it didn't work out so well for him. So RZA had nothing to lose and he had a great bargaining chip which was his hot record. So Loud Records uh, and RCA, their parent company, agreed to waive the sacrosanct leading member clause of the contract, which allowed Method Man to sign to Def Jam and allowed Old Dirty Bastard to be signed to Elektra and allowed the genius to be signed to Geffen and so on and so on. And that's sort of the first salvo in this artist independence uh, war. And I think that um, in my book, I, I use Wendy Day, the head of the Rap Coalition, um, as uh, a way to talk about uh, an increasing generation uh, of other artists in the mid-1990s uh, who also took steps to ensure their own sovereignty, right? Now, Wendy Day is not responsible for all of these artists, but um, she sort of becomes a linking device for them in the book. So, uh, you know, Sean Combs, Puff Daddy, he, he is also someone who very quickly insists on his own sovereignty. Um, and of course, his legendary, uh, you know, entitled behavior at Uptown got him fired, but quickly got him a better deal at Arista, and that leads to Bad Boy. And then there's East 40 out in the Bay Area. Again, the East Bay, kind of ignored by the major labels, and allows a whole scene to go up, uh, you know, come up there where East 40 can sell 100,000 uh, uh, copies of his own record without hardly any assistance from anyone, no radio play. You know, why does E-40 need anyone? So when Jod wants to do a deal with him, he's not taking the, the, the deal that uh, some neophyte artist with no, you know, sales track record uh, is forced to take. He is negotiating for the best. And then as E-40 gets a better deal, then Master P can get his deal. And then uh, Cash Money can get their deal, which was in the late 1980s at the time, just unheard of, uh, a pressing and distribution deal uh, that a record company actually forked over a $3 million advance for to allow them to own their own masters and walk away really at any time. I mean, that's, that was how much it had changed. From a, from a business aspect, um, do you think the more an, an artist 
artists have become independent where they're kind of able to be their own like agent or able to be their own negotiator. Do you think that in a weird way dilutes the business of hip hop or the business of music at all? Or is that actually more of an empowerment to the business of hip hop? There's traditionally sort of been this church and state line between art and commerce. And um, some people are more, um, some artists are better at it than others. You know, I think we can see somebody like Jay-Z has always been good at kind of being both. Um, but there's some artists who want nothing to do with the business side. Um, and so they either need to partner with people who do care or they're essentially going to be the property of somebody else. I mean, that's just how it happens. So, yeah, I mean, it takes a, a skilled person to be able to be an artist and also weigh issues of commerce. Um, but it can happen. And sometimes when it happens, it actually produces the greatest art Ever. Do you think the uh, the current success of hip hop as a culture, um, if you just take the music aspect of it, do you think the success will allow more artists to kind of go back to quote unquote their roots? I mean, to be a little more creative and not worry about having to have that commercial pop hit right away. Well, in one sense, it's already happening, right? The mainstreaming of hip hop has allowed somebody like Kanye West or somebody like Nicki Minaj to be more experimental about what they're doing. Like those are artists who are very, I would say kind of visually and orally extravagant. Um, Kanye is kind of doing some wild stuff. I mean, even though he's commercial, he's, he, he's experimenting a bit. And I think Nicki, you know, is, you know, her, her, she's more like a performance artist, you know, than a rapper, right. you know, per se. So, I think to a certain extent it's happening. Um, we are entering a, a kind of a, what I would call a danger zone though, in that when you become part of the mainstream, like what got hip hop into the mainstream was the fact that hip hop developed leverage. It created institutions outside the mainstream um, that were so, that grew to be so powerful that they forced the mainstream to pay attention and to do business with them on their terms. But once these public companies are welcoming you in, um, you lose the impetus to be an owner sometimes. Um, and so once those independent institutions go away, if they wane, then hip hop becomes vulnerable again to uh, what you might call the mainstream minds. If you totally stripped out the business aspect of hip hop, how would the culture? How would that affect the cultural aspect? Like, what would be different about today's culture of hip hop if there wasn't any business proponent of it? Nobody would know a thing about it. Um, you know, there wouldn't have been uh, uh, rappers' delight, and there wouldn't have been a Run DMC, and there wouldn't have been uh, Adidas sponsorships, and there wouldn't be Rock Aware to Wear, and there wouldn't be uh, Fresh Prince on TV and Will Smith in your movies. Um, it was. Very, it, it, the business side of hip hop was so integral, integral to you know what we experience as hip hop fans, as to be inseparable, and that's why I've always felt that you really haven't told the story of hip hop until you tell the story of the hip hop business. That's why I, I wanted to write the book, and um, you know I, I also feel in some ways that you know hip hop. We always talk about hip hop having four elements. 
uh, DJing, MCing, uh, graffiti, and breaking. And Grandmaster Kaz has often talked about a fifth element being style, which I think is correct. And I, I would make an argument for the addition of a sixth element, which would be marketing. And that while there will always be a tension between art and commerce, that hip-hop uh, has done well to embrace that. Um, and there are ways for art and commerce always to coexist. The name of the book is The Big Payback, The History of the Business of Hip-Hop by Dan Charnas. Dan, thanks for joining us on And You Don't Stop. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.